When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I, or here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This is the word of God. Amen. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Um, God is so good in all that he does. Um, And I want to tell you how I am applying God's goodness and promises, even right now. So as you all know, um, I made the mistake of saying last week that Pastor Sam had a son. Uh, he didn't give birth to the son, his wife did. Uh, and his name is Timothy, a beautiful, healthy baby boy. Uh, and we thank God for that. Uh, at the same time, there is some bittersweet news to share as well. Uh, Pastor Sam and uh, Karen Samanim will be serving uh, the high school ministry JG. And uh, they have served faithfully with us at, at EC for a long time, for a year and a half now. And they have so faithfully applied God's word to his people and taught and, and preached. Uh, but they are be called uh, to Joshua's generation. And uh, all the pastors are unilaterally announcing this uh, this day, uh, today, in all the services. Uh, high school ministry, JG, might be saying, we're getting Pastor Sam. <laughs> and my announcement is, they're taking. <laughs> I know they are getting a beautiful and a wonderful pastor. And God is good because who knows, this might be the year where God touches the heart of many high school students to be a people for his name, uh, to even go to seminary, to, go, to be missionaries, to be lay people living for his glory. And God works in ways that I cannot see. And uh, I have to take care of 400 people now. But to God. To God. Be all the glory. Uh, so let's apply this all together. There is something that God is doing in the context of the difficulties that we go through. And I want this text to be delivered straight to your heart to help you understand the nature of what God is doing despite your suffering. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please open your word to us. May the Holy Spirit press upon our hearts the truths that we must know today to live faithfully before you, to have power rather than uh, despair. And may your faithful children who hear the promises in today's word, may they leave this sanctuary dancing for joy, knowing uh, that you are a great father who still keeps his promises. And when we discover that in the beauty of the Old Testament passage that we've read today, but it's reinterpreted and filtered through the blood of Jesus Christ, may there be a great 
rejoicing amongst your people. Holy Spirit, please do your work. I know that you are always moving from person to person, opening up a heart, exposing him to the gospel, helping him believe in Jesus to be saved from their sin and repent. And then, Father, you will do wonderful things through their obedience. And if one person is called through today's worship service, what a beautiful gathering this is for you and for your kingdom. So with that hope, Holy Spirit, please work. Use the word that I stumbled through today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Mission of God series, uh, we see two lines of humanity that we have been looking and tracing uh, in the past three weeks. Uh, We saw that the two lines of humanity have now fully diverged after the fall of mankind. Uh, What we see in one fate, uh, one storyline, is the fate of those who chase the cultural mandate to flourish and rule over the world without a relationship with God. And their story accumulates and culminates and finishes at the Babel Tower. A lot of you were uh, joking around with the word, uh, like, stop babelizing, stop being a babelizer. Uh, If you were here last week, hopefully that makes sense for you. Babel Tower could have been the most monumental feat of technological and architectural and structural and cultural and linguistic significance. It could have been a wonderful monument to how great we are. But we see that God himself scatters a unified human race that leads towards self-destruction away from God. And now we see the start of a new lineage given to the promises of a person that has been called out, and his name is Abraham. So we see this continuation of another line of people, a covenantal lineage who functions on promises and receives God's character and promise instead of looking at the cultural mandate and flourishing without God, refusing to build a kingdom without a king. We see that theme repeated over and over and over. And so what are the promises of God that have been revealed so far until Abraham's call? The promise from God to Eve that what? That her offspring, her seed, will crush the head of the serpent. Amen? That's going to happen in Christ Jesus. There's going to be one seed of the woman that kills the serpent of sin and death and evil. That's going to, that day is going to come. And then we have a promise to Noah that God will not judge the world ever again through water. And he'll postpone a final judgment of fire until a Savior has been provided. And so we are not all dead without hope. Amen? He postpones the final judgment. And now we see a third promise extending to Abraham, a son of an idol maker in Mesopotamia, Ur of the Chaldeans. And God calls him out, which is basically the identity of the church, ecclesia, ecclesia, the called out ones. We are called out from our normal identity markers from our cities, from our jobs, from our hometowns, from our families. God calls Abraham out by the strength of a promise out of Ur of Mesopotamia. Relying upon what, though? In those days, like stability was the name of the game. If you didn't settle, if you didn't plant crops, you were doomed to a life of sojourning, and you're leaving your life to the fate of the wind. But Abraham was called out. Not because he was heading to a a better city. Not because he was heading to a better culture. Not because he was heading to more fame and reputation. He was called out 
based on a promise that God would be with him, that God would strengthen him personally. And that is our identity as well. We are called out from the first lineage of those who define themselves by their jobs and their successes and their hometowns and their ethnicity and their race and their families and uh, what they've accomplished in this world, God calls you out of that and say, join the new humanity that calls upon the name of the Lord, that receives a promise uh, of, of Seth that God will be with us if we call upon him. And according to Babel, God will not scatter us if we are unified in him and not against him. And then the final promise given to Abraham today, the third one that we're going to talk about. And based upon that promise, we now leave our previous identity markers to be defined by what? Are we a new race together? A lot of you are Korean, but are we a new race together? No. We're not a new creed together. We're not a new uh, uh, social club together. We are. God's people defined by a promise. The promise is what ties us together. And later that promise is fulfilled by blood that holds us together. So we need to dive in to understand what is the nature of this calling. And the calling is in the context of a final test that God gives to Abraham. The toughest test ever that a person in this world can complete, which is to give up their only son. So In verse 9, the context is, they came to the place which God had told them, and God is telling Abraham, build an altar there, and then lay the wood in order, and then bind Isaac to uh, to the altar and kill him. And this is a radical command for us today. It shocks us, but it was even more radical back then because what? The nature of the test is that God is not asking Abraham just to offer his most beloved son gained after God's promise at the age of 100 Right? All of Abraham's life culminated into the joy of the birth of Isaac, his son. But this goes way beyond his son. This test is to offer Isaac, who is what? God's promise. And so it's almost like this test is to see, it, it, it seems to cancel out God's previous promise to Abraham to make him a descendant, uh, to make him a forefather of many nations. So it's a test on the fleshly side. My son is going to die, but also a test on what side? Is God true and faithful? Does he keep his promises or does he break it? Like any other human being. And so questions must race to our head right now. Is God a liar? Like, does he, is he evil? Like, does he ask for the very thing he promised to you? And we also need to ask another important question personally for our lives. What is God looking for in the tests that we encounter in our lives as his children? When we, you know, become bankrupt, when we get, you know, sick, or we get cancer, or when our children go astray, when all the things that destroy our identity markers happen in our lives, what is God looking for? Because the faster you know, it is easier to understand what God's will is and submit to his will. So what is he looking for in this test? Verse 10 through 11, Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called out. And there's a lot of, every time in Hebrew literature, if you see repetition, it means that there's an urgency. So God's saying, don't, don't, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Like, here I am, Abraham replies. Now, because of some internal process somehow that we will describe later, which is going to be the main point of today's sermon, 
Abraham somehow obeys God and takes a knife to end his love, his dream, and God's promise. But God calls out Abraham's name, name twice, underscoring the urgency of God trying to help Abraham understand what actually is going on. What actually is going on in this test. And this is where we need to also perk our ears. If he's calling out your name twice right now, you need to listen to what God is really looking for in this context. Verses 12 to 13. Now, he says, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So what God is looking for is obedience based upon trust in God's promises. Obedience based on trust in God's promises. And what happens right after is very interesting. Abraham lifted up his eyes. His eyes were suddenly opened to a new reality, and he saw behind him, a ram caught by its horns. I imagine a ram, like I, I, I've seen a few goats. Uh, they're very wild. If you catch it by its horns, it's going to struggle a lot. It's going to be loud. Somehow this ram was right behind Abraham. He didn't notice until the exam, the test was finished. And then he sees a ram and he offers it, it says, instead of his son. So it's not that God doesn't know Abraham's heart. However, Deeper inner realities like faith and hope has to be externally acted out in obedience to be real. Inner faith has to be externally shown by obedience. That's the, first, that's the nature of the exam, the test that God is handing out right now. And what you see here is that when faith leads to obedience, at the end of that track, we see God's providence by revelation. He reveals a ram behind him that he didn't know about. So if you could repeat after me. Faith leading to obedience leading to providence. We have to understand that this is what God is looking for in most of the trials of our life. Faith leading to obedience leading to providence which then recycles into more faith more obedience, more providence until we go to God's kingdom where there will be perfect faith turned into sight. Obedience as easy as breathing and providence like you've never seen before where God pours out everything for those in his kingdom. So what's really important is without obedience that demonstrates faith, it is very hard to see what God is going to do through providence. And, you know, we are a Calvinistic church. We are reformed in our theology. And oftentimes we say, because God provided, that kicks off the journey of faith leading to obedience. But from our human perspective, we don't see the spiritual providence that God provided before. The ram is always behind us. We don't see that first. What we first see is a test that we have to obey in faith first. And so, this is a problem of so many people today is that we don't recognize the pattern of the Bible from the human perspective. We have faith first, we obey, and then God provides only to understand that God provided before. For example, the Israelites carry the Ark of the Covenant and they're crossing the Jordan River. When did God in his providence open up the river? When their ankles got wet. Do you get that? So they step in faith. Imagine what the praise leaders are thinking because the praise leaders are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They're like, we're getting closer. 
are we going to die right now? <laughs> like, the promised land's right there, but this river's pretty big. And they're taking a step closer and closer, and the water hits her feet and their ankles, and then providence. And I think that's a problem with all of us. We don't get our ankles wet. We don't trust that this faith will lead to obedience, which leads to providence. And we conceptualize faith. All of you will say, I believe. Amen? You believe in God, right? But look at the pattern of your lives. Look at the purchase history of your Amazon account. Look at how you spend time with people and it shows what you idolize. Usually, you don't see obedience coming from the faith. And so your mind is conceptualizing faith, but your body does nothing to respond to the faith. Therefore, no providence. Therefore, you don't see the work of God. Last week, I said, like, you know, you utilize the Holy Spirit for the wrong reasons. That's why he doesn't work for you. But it's the same for the promise of God. He doesn't provide without you obeying him. When you disobey him, why would he give you his promises? It's the same thing over and over. It's babelization without the providence of God. Whenever you recover from a sickness or you pass a test or you finally find a job that you've been praying for and you finally get married, uh, like the pain is over, right? And we just want to go back to life without pondering the spiritual significance of the event. Like, if Abraham was unwise, he would have said, oh, there's a goat. Test passed. Like, son can live. Let's go back living as we did. And if he did that, he misses the point of what's happening. What is God trying to say through this? Like, let's say you get through an immense pain in your life, and you go back to default mode. I will continue making and building my castle now that everything's okay, because escaping pain is one of our greatest impulses, isn't it? So once we escape that, we build our own castles. But if you don't know what God is doing, don't be surprised if you face another test again soon. <laughs> and it will be uh, a little bit worse than failing an exam or uh, getting into a car crash or anything that touches upon your self-sufficiency. Don't be surprised if the exams and tests it harder. <laughs> so what Abraham wisely does is his son escapes death. God keeps his promises, but Abraham internalizes what's happening. And verse 14 is his conclusion. Let's look at verse 14. So, and this is a lesson that he learned, Abraham called the place Jehovah Jireh. God provides. Jireh is not just the name of the coffee shop down <laughs> down there. Like, God provides is what you need to understand, right? So, when you're about to burn out and God saves you, when you're about to die in your despair and God saves you, what is it that you're trying to learn and get into our thick skulls every week, every time you go through that? What is it? God provides. And those who are masters at that, they understand, oh, if God provides then, it's okay. It's okay. I once remember telling a young adult, it's okay, four times in a row, and he started crying. It's like, <laughs> I didn't do that much counseling, but it's like, if God is real, 
and he's true, and he keeps his promises, and he's all-powerful, all-knowing, and he's good to you, he demonstrated his promise by Jesus Christ, then the conclusion is, it's okay. It's okay. And suddenly, tears, freedom, joy. You're no longer chained anymore. You're freed. That's what Abraham is understanding. Oh, God provides. And he even nicknamed this mountain on the Mount of the Lord. This is God's mountain. This is God's test. This is not a cosmic accident. This is not a freak accident where you're like, why did this happen to me? No, God's mount, on God's mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. It shall be provided when God is the one giving you the test. And that is the confidence of a Christian is that we see the difficulties in our life and we say, this is the mountain of the Lord. And he'll provide a way out of this. And so what's your main goal? Not to create a way to escape that suffering, not to find your way out of it, not to create Ishmael when, you, when you're promised Isaac, but it is to what? Wait for the providence of God, for he will provide. How many of you last week accidentally gave birth to an Ishmael? waiting for the promise of God, but you couldn't wait, so you're like, I'm just going to solve this my way. I know it's embarrassing to raise your hand. You don't have to. But it's true, isn't it? It's true, isn't it? We couldn't wait for God because we didn't trust in Him. And don't be surprised if next week you find something else that requires the same response. God provides, I will trust, and later, after you do DT and discipleship, I will also trust and rejoice in him. Rejoice despite the mountain of the test through which God provides. So Abraham called the place Jehovah Jireh. I'm not asking you to change uh, the background screen of your phones to God provides right now. You have to understand what is God really telling you through all the things that happened the past years. He provides, he provides, he provides. Therefore, I'm going to give you a sneak peek into the end of the conclusion of this sermon. If he provides, live for his mission. Amen? If he provides, live for a different mission, not your Babel Tower, but for the Pentecostalization of your life. If he is true and he provides his spirit and he provides his promises and he provides and provides and provides, you will not starve to death. You will have all your needs met. You will have a beautiful reputation before God and not before man and maybe even before man. Therefore, stop living like a beggar, but live for a higher purpose. College students, I know you're back. Stop living as if that A will be your Messiah. That A will not get you too far. I've had quite a few A's. And the life I'm now living is not because of those A's. What a mystery. (laughs) But you're laughing right now, but I need to tell a lot of people, the money you're earning right now will not lead to the life that God wants you to live. I'm sorry, the spouse you're looking for right now will not save you. The loneliness inside is too deep for a man or a woman to solve. God will provide. 
And I have to repeat this to every life stage. In your 50s, you're worried about children and how they're, they're, they're going to turn out. In your 60s, Korean people are worried about legacy and reputation. In your 70s, it's just, you know, like about your health and, you know, how you're going to die before the Lord. Every single stage of life is set up so that you worry about your Babel Tower. And I say to you, you can be freed in your 30s to live for a different mission. You can be freed. For a totally new way of looking at the world to see the providence of God and the giving and indwelling of His Spirit to live for something totally different. College students, I sometimes want to show you the failures of my life to show you that you can live a different life. You don't have to be stressed, God provides. Listen, Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so God is not just providing a goat. Like when you get a job, God is not just providing a job. There's a deeper meaning to it. When you get a spouse, there's a deeper meaning to it. It's not just a spouse. What you understand later is that Isaac wasn't just a son, but a forerunner and the line of the Messiah and the promised future of all believers, including us as a church. So that goat isn't just a goat. It is Literally, the greatest of all time, goat. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I'm surprised I know that word. <laughs> it's a catalyst that kept God's promises for Abraham intact. God provided a solution for the promise. And so listen to this. That's why I prayed in the offering. I can't give you anything better than what you've given me. I give you Jesus as my offering. Why did I pray that? Because God keeps his promises by what he provides. What am I saying? You're living for free. (laughs) Come on. All of you want passive income, right? You're living for free. By the grace of God, by the providence of God, he's keeping his own promises. You're not keeping yours. It's okay. You are Christian. You are his children. He will still provide when you are ugly and sinner, when you still have your face covered with the, with the mess of the world and you're still so worried about what God doesn't provide for you, God will still provide when you are a sinner. Romans 5.8. That's when he saved us. Now, how does this lead to obedience? Of course, salvation comes through faith alone. And it's easy to fool others to think that I have faith because faith is an internal and subjective reality. But... Faith never comes alone. It comes with a gut reaction to live it out by obedience. This is where the internal becomes external. I would not be exaggerating to say that the biggest problem with us is, once again, is that you aren't evidencing or demonstrating that you actually believe because of your life choices. So I'm not saying, you know, overcome your stress to get the mercy of God, I'm trying to say, overcome your stress because God has already given you the mercy. And the reason why you might be stressed right now is because you don't know that he gave you mercy or you might not have received it yet. And now it's a bigger problem. It's not just about consistency. It's about actually knowing if you're saved or not. Has he saved you? Amen? May your Amazon purchases demonstrate it. So, the beauty and the power of Christianity is that God is so good in that he provides for those who believe and obey. He provides, he'll take care of you. 
And that's why, you know, there's a theologian called Peter Forsyth. I think he's a theologian. He says, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. You have to find who your good master is going to be and obey him. And the only good master that I know of is God the Father, who provides as you believe and obey. Has the world ever been so kind to you? Has the world ever let you go beyond cause and effect? Like, has your boss given you more, more than you deserve? Have you ever exceeded and received more results than your performance? Not unless God is your provider. If you want to escape the chains of causality, cause and effect, what you sow and what you reap, you sow, what you sow, you reap. If you want to be called out from that like Abraham, believe, obey, and be provided for. And what's beautiful is that once you experience God's providence, duty then becomes free choice because it's addictive. I am not serving God out of a desperation to do my duty anymore. I love how he takes care of me every single day of my life. And I cannot help but talk about how good he is. And I want to invite you into a lifestyle of being provided by him so faithfully every day that you marvel at, how can this be? How can he love me so? Why the gospel for me, a broken sinner like me? And at that point, like, not sinning is no longer something that causes me to be frustrated. It's like, oh, I can't sin anymore. That's not it. God is so good. I love living for his glory and obedience. And that's where we need to reach. We need to to become addicted to obedience leading to providence. May all of us, and for those college students that are here, may you be addicted to obeying God to provide you what a straight A report card cannot provide you with. Amen? Amen. Let's go to verses 15 through 18, which is kind of the conclusion of today's text. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time. By myself I have sworn. And, you know, everything after this is just a really bad Hebrew run-on sentence. It's like if you submitted this as an essay, you, you'd, be, you'd be getting a pretty bad score because it's a connected run-on sentence of like outpouring emotion. So what God is doing here is he sets up a paradigm of faith, obedience, and provision. And then he pours out with a majestic run-on sentence of blessings and promises. It's like a father who is so proud and excited of his ch- child that he wants to bless him forever. And he says, listen to this. Like what, what does he actually give to you? It's the cultural mandate on steroids. I'll bless you. I'll multiply your offspring. I'll ensure, I'll ensure that you become a father of many nations. I'll ensure to multiply you, to become like the stars of heaven. I will ensure that your offspring possesses the gate of his enemy. I will ensure that all the world will be blessed through you. And it's a blessing after blessing after blessing. You can't understand this as a piece of literature. 
It is the pouring out of a heart of a father who has taught the greatest lesson to his child. Trust me, obey me, and you will have more than what I promised at the cultural mandate. You will flourish more. You will thrive more. You will build more. You will accomplish more because of your love and obedience to me. Amen? I challenge all of you to outperform those in your workplace because of your love for Jesus Christ. Not because of your pay, not because of the prestige that you're getting from your job, but because of the joy of obedience that leads to God's providence, you will outshine in the world. So, how do you receive this blessing? How do you receive this blessing? Like, how many of you want this blessing? Amen? Uh, if I, like, <laughs> somebody told me that uh, my sermons are like a Taylor Swift concert. Like, it feels really good when you're listening to it. You forget what it's about afterwards. <laughs> so I need to, like, keep on summarizing. There's a promise being blessed right now. Like, there, there's a blessing being promised right now. Characterize the nature of the blessing for me. What is a blessing? I will provide if you believe and obey. Okay? So hopefully I won't be Taylor Swift today. Uh, when I first heard that, I was like, am I dressing inappropriately? <laughs> um, but here it is. God will provide if you believe and obey. And then you'll discover he provided before you believed. <laughs> and then it's like, uh, this is so addicting. I need to live like this forever. Every day I need to wake up trusting and obeying to discover another present that God has given for my life today and it's the best life to live ever. It's the best life to live ever. So how do you receive this blessing though? It's not the blood of Abraham. It's not the ethnicity and lineage of Abraham. It does say his, his offspring. But this is talking about a new offspring that is characterized by what? It says... Because you have obeyed my voice. That is a characteristic of all future offspring of Abraham. Because you have obeyed my voice, you will be provided for. That is the church today. All of you are provided for by believing in Jesus Christ and the gospel that God gave us through his son. That even despite our sin, God will forgive us and love us if we but believe and obey. He will provide for all descendants of those who believe. If you're interested, look up the Hebrew word zera. It means uh, seed. Sarah, it means seed. And it is a collective singular noun. It means multiple people, but one person. It's like Adam and all of humanity. Adam means mankind. And Jesus standing as a new federal head for all those who believe, including the church. So in Christ, if you believe, God will provide everything. That is the identity of the church. That's why we don't fear what goes on in the world. Because God provides, not the world. Even in my death, God provides. Amen? So, we can live for a new reason. Hebrews 11.1, 1, let's look at this. And if you see closely... I don't know if this is high quality enough or high definition enough. The rock stands out more and the background is blurred. Next one is the opposite. In Hebrew 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, 
the evidence of things not seen yet. So Case PC, what does it mean to live by faith? Like, how do you believe so that you get the promise? And how do you get the promise that you live addicted to God's providence every day? How? This is what it actually means. Faith means to focus clearly on God's promises more than the knife in your hand. Right? Blurring out our short-term worries and enhancing our long-term view of God's promises and what that's accomplishing through this pain that I'm going through right now, through this test of Mount Moriah, the mountain of the Lord, by the way, through which he provides. So living by faith is to live according to the larger picture and enhancing that while blurring the pain of today. And we do the opposite. (laughs) When we worry about things, a lot of you living in Nova because you are control freaks. You worry in 4K definition. (laughs) You worry so intimately and so deeply and so sophisticatedly that I can't get you out of that sand hole. It's like, what if this happens and then this happens, this happens. I'm like, stop being a software engineer. It's like, if if, then this... uh, You worry in 4K. We need to believe in 4K. You know, when we believe sometimes, it's black and white, low-resolution thinking. It's vague. It's conceptual. Like, belief is just an idea, and it's not actual. So what's the resulting lifestyle? We plan. We stockpile. We hedge off risk. We hedonize and babbleize our lives because of the myopic short-sightedness we have in terms of faith. But Abraham's faith made him see God's promises and this, like, that's good, but you need to hear this part. Abraham's faith made him see God's promises more vividly than the sun on the altar. Do you get that? More vividly than the thing that you're actually striving for right now. More vividly is a key term because it's relative. You can have great conviction in God, but you can have a greater conviction in the world. Tests and hardships are scary, yes. Mount Moriah is scary. It's designed to be so. But faith allows us to see the surrounding context in which God has provided that mountain. The context in which hardship and and suffering takes place. And the only context that I know of that God has revealed to us is that the universe is under his control. Loving control of a father and not a tyrant. The perfect control of a flawless being and not broken beings like us. And when that context is taken into place, we can afford to focus more on him rather than the thing right in front of me. So that's the internal process that's happening. Uh, if we unpsychologize this and we look at Hebrews eleven seventeen and 19, this is what the Bible actually says about what's going on in Abraham's heart. Let's see it. Abraham's, uh, sorry, Hebrews eleven seventeen to 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises, it was clearer to him, more vivid to him than the pain of losing his son, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So he's like, okay, God has a promise and he has a command. What do I do? Do I fight in my human strength for the promise that God has given me? Or do I obey him, trusting that he will be consistent? And he's saying, God is consistent. I don't know the future. I am not consistent. 
Therefore, I will obey in faith. And that is a lot of what you need to do in your lives. You see God's vision for your life, but you have no idea what's happening right now. And you can't turn that into faith. And that's what I've been struggling with the whole past week. It's like, I'm losing Pastor Sam. <laughs> and I don't know how, know how to serve this church uh, with, without more help. But yet, I see that God loves KCPC so much there's bound to be something happening, a ram caught by his horns behind my back. And that is the way that we believe and obey, by trusting in God's providence. So when we say things like, we walk by faith and not by sight, I'm trying to tell you, faith is not blind. Both faith and sight are eyes of the mind. The fallen mind, by what we, say, what we mean by sight, is compromised by sin and sees the world through a filter of my perception and my deficiency and my fears and my anxiety. So sight is a fallen instrument to see the world. And when we say I live by faith and not by sight, what that means is I see 4K, high definition, through God's way of seeing the world and I trust in Him more than my broken way of seeing the world. That's why we say I live not by sight but by faith. I trust in God's view more than mine. Amen? So today, once again, to not be a Taylor Swift concert, uh, let's look at the following graph that I am very proud of. <laughs> the babelization, the cycle of babelization, what does it do? It is deficiency that causes a reaction that leads to a result that you don't like, and so it results in more deficiency. Example. You need to think of an example. Um, let's say, sorry, young adults, I'm not picking on you. Let's say I need a spouse. And then I look in the wrong places for a spouse by reacting, and I go on these weird apps. And then I get a result of a person who doesn't love me in Christ but betrays me. And there's more deficiency and you're feeding into yourself, oh, I'm not worth that much. And so you go back to your deficiency and it's a worse result, it's a worse action, a worse reaction, and then a worse result and the cycle of babelization happens. Haven't you, feel, haven't you felt God scatter your life because it's not working out? Right? So the cycle that we called last week Pentecostalization. Okay, I am not uh, coining these terms. Like after this sermon, we're not going to talk about this anymore. It's not a word to be remembered. But the Pentecostalization of our life is this, what Abraham showed. Faith leading to obedience, leading to providence, a better result than I can ever think of, which leads to, I believe you more, Father. I'll obey you more, Father. Oh my God, <laughs> what are you doing? I love you more. I'll obey you more. And you live like this until you reach heaven, an actual spiritual tower that reaches God. Wow, I want you to live like that. Lived by faith, leading to obedience, leading to God's providence. So, here's my accusation to you, and then the solution. The accusation is this. Most of you doubt God's promises. So, you react to the hardships of life only to recognize you're not a good problem solver. You don't know the future. You've, you haven't been that successful with the stocks, okay? 
So you doubt again, and you react again, and you become more deficient over and over and over and over. And so the mission of God, the mushinen, beautiful, awesome, cosmic mission of God. Let's look at the slide. What is the mission of God? Let's look at the slide. The fourth thing, to create a people to bless all nations by living in the cycle of now faith, obedience, and providence. Faith, obedience, and providence. The world destroys itself by deficiency, reaction, result. Deficiency, reaction, result. And we babbleize and we tear apart the world by our inefficiencies and ineffectiveness. But the people of God bless the world. How though? Like we're called to bless the nations. Doesn't that sound a little too lofty? Until you understand, oh, daily faith and obedience and providence will get the mission done. Amen? That is what God is doing right now. His mission for you is to restore you into a new cycle of life to love and, and, and faith and in obedience leading to his providence. And so once you see through the lens of faith, this is what you see. Let's look at the final slide. You see a goat kapai's horns on a thistle tree. And what are thorns and thistles? Come on, like, let's think about Adam. What are thorns and thistles to Adam? The result of the curse that God gave to him. The world and the soil will bear thorns and thistles if you try to work it. You, can't, you have to work for your survival now. The curse of the world, the ram's caught in it. And once you see this through the eyes of providence and through the eyes of faith and through the eyes of obedience, what you see is Christ bearing the curse of the world so that you don't have to. Instead of you, instead of you, God cursed his own son upon the cross that when you believe in him, you would be freed from a vicious cycle of trying to feed yourself, please yourself, and never fulfilling that and being so empty of a shell inside. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God loved you so much that in your sin, he provided a way out through his son by pouring out the curse of the world upon Jesus. And when you see his providence, you believe now. When you see that Jesus was offered before you were born, you believe and you trust and then you experience more of what God gives you. May that be your blessing today. Let's get out of the cycle that we're caught in right now. It's killing Nova. Let's get out of that cycle. And the only way is to see through the eyes of faith, Jesus taking my curse upon him. What's beautiful is that Mount Moriah is actually... Like, I, I've heard some people try to do this. A stone throws away from the temple of the mount and upon that hill where Jesus died. And God's saying, behind you, where the ram is caught by his horns, behind you, that's where I will save the world. I'll provide. I will find a substitute for all of you. And it's going to be 2,000 years later on the cross of Jesus Christ, on Calvary, right behind of you, on just a stone throws away, I will provide a Savior. And that those who believe in him become a new humanity that lives by faith, obedience, and providence. Dear Case PC, look at your Mount Moriah. 
What is God trying to say to you? He is trying to derail you from doubt, reaction, and deficiency into life and faith and obedience and providence. Don't you want to live differently? Yes? Father, you heard that. Let's stand up. And can you declare with me, along with Abraham, and think of Mount Calvary, and we're going to repeat with Abraham, repeat after me. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Amen. Praise team, please come up. And let us respond to worship, obey even by worship, by trusting that on the mount of the Lord, when you fear and find your greatest deficiencies, you will find that God provides. He is still Jehovah Jireh. And he provides for those that believe in him. I'll quickly pray for us and then we'll respond in worship. Father, I know someone had to hear that message. Please cause faith in that person to see Jesus crucified for him with the curse that he or she had to suffer placed upon Jesus. And may that cause awe and love and a desire to believe and then to obey and walk in discipleship. And whenever he or she obeys, may there be more providence and love and joy and power that causes it to start all over again where we believe more, obey more, and are loved more by God. Help us live like that until we die, Father. I especially am thankful that there are people in their 20s right now who can live totally different from us. They can totally change the communities that they live in. They can totally live for a new purpose and a new future. Free them, Father, from the curse of the world and open up a new way of living characterized by your providence. And when KCPC sees that, may there be great joy and testimonies to the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond in worship.